Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You are our God, and you reign over all. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that you have come near to us with your grace, for, Lord, in our sin, we could not come near to you. And so now, as we seek to work out our faith with fear and trembling, to live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints, we pray that you would instruct us through your Word and by your Spirit, show us what it means to trust you and to follow you. But Lord, also, we're thankful that you meet us right where we are, whether we come to you in joy or in sorrow that we come to you in gladness or in pain. Lord, you meet us. So, Lord, we pray that now, by your Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, the very deepest parts of who we are. Transform us by the renewing of our minds and make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. There have been times in my life where I have looked to the heavens and asked God a very simple question. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I have to tell you, that is a past tense reality in my life, but it's also very much a present tense reality in my life, asking the Lord, what do you want me to do now? Sometimes situations in life bring about that question. I'm in a place I never thought I would be. I'm dealing with a reality I never thought I'd have to deal with. What do you, what do you want me to do now? Sometimes I'm trying to make life decisions. What's next, Lord? What do, you, what do you want me to do, Lord? Which path should I follow? Sometimes, frankly, it comes from a place of frustration. Have you ever been frustrated with the Lord? He's big enough to handle it, just so you're aware. He's big enough to handle your frustration. He's big enough to handle your honesty. I would recommend going to Him respectfully, but respectful and honest can coexist. Lord, I don't understand. What do you want me to do now? And here's the good news about our God. He answers that prayer. By His Word and by His Spirit, He gives us the direction that we need to trust Him and to follow Him. And today we're going to ask the question, how do we walk by faith? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, which is our theme verse for the day, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, "'For we walk by faith, not by sight.'" We walk by faith, not by sight. And so our question today is, how do we do that? How do we walk according to that which we cannot see? Well, here's the good news. The Christian faith is not nearly as mysterious as we like to make it out to be. The Christian faith is not a mystery. It's a revelation. God has has revealed himself to us, and he has revealed what he expects of us to us. So we're going to look today to God's Word and to God's Spirit and say, Lord, how do we walk by faith? That's our theme. We walk by faith. And our first point today is this. We practice spiritual disciplines. We practice spiritual disciplines. And, you know, you think about the great athletes or the great musicians. We just saw some great gifts, talents, and abilities and resources on display right here in our worship service. 
And do you know what they were doing in the back? They were not playing the pieces they just played in before us. They were playing scales. Because you know what you have to do to become great? You have to play scales. Do you know what you have to do, oh, I don't know, to become a great track star? You have to learn how to run. You have to learn how to jump. Do you know what you have to do to become a great basketball player? You have to learn how to shoot and how to dribble. And do you know that the greatest of all of these folks, the people who are adorned in Hall of Fames of all sorts, you know what they are? They're great at the fundamentals. They're great at the basics. You might have heard of Jehoshaphat's prayer. Back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 12, I want to read to you this passage because Jehoshaphat had come to a place where as the leader of God's people, he didn't know what to do. So here's what he did. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade, lest they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that prayer. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The same sentiment is shared in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Jehoshaphat mentions the eyes. The writer of Hebrews mentions the eyes, but the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. So how do we fix the eyes of our faith on Almighty God? Well, notice what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat was afraid. So here are the things he did. He set his face to seek the Lord. That was first. Then he proclaimed a fast. He called all of God's people to engage in this spiritual discipline of fasting. Third, he assembled the people. And he assembled them fourthly in the house of the Lord. And then he cried out to God in remembrance of what God had said they should do. If 
disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So what did they do? They went back to the basics that God had already given them. They went back to the fundamentals of living out the faith because they didn't know what to do. How did they set their eyes upon Almighty God? Well, they did it the way that God told them to do it. They went back to the spiritual disciplines God had given them. I've told you in this series several of the books that have been used of God to shape my life of faith. And another of those is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Faith, written by Dr. Donald Whitney. And Dr. Whitney has devoted his life to helping Christians live out the faith, and he does such a phenomenal job. But in that book, he outlines 10 spiritual disciplines that are vital and integral to the life of faith in Jesus Christ. I want to give you those. You've got room. I've done it. You can write out each one of these little things right there in the space in your notes if you're taking notes. He emphasizes 10 spiritual disciplines in his book, and they are these, Bible intake, prayer, Worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. Now I'll go through them again if you didn't get all those. But the first and most important is Bible intake. You've got to get God's Word in you. We talk about that every week here, every single Sunday. We work through a reading plan every single year, and if you will take this Word and you will take it into you, it will change you. It will change you. Do you know the world changed after the invention of the printing press? The church changed after the invention of the printing press because they put the Bible into the hands of the people. That changed everything. And that was used of God in mighty ways and uh, God would lead Martin Luther to write, A mighty fortress is our God, maestro. We share that as a favorite song. Because God put his word into the hands of his people, and all of a sudden, we didn't have to rely on what somebody told us God said. We could read it for ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, it is a tragedy when we who own more Bibles than any other period in the history of the world don't actually read it. No, God has spoken, so we've got to get the Bible in us. Second is prayer. You know, every week on a Wednesday night, we meet for prayer meeting. We pray together, but you know the Bible says not only should we pray together, but we should pray always. Literally pray without ceasing. You say, how do you do that? It's amazing now. We live in an age where you can be walking in the store and see somebody talking to themselves. Has that ever happened to you? They may be turned away from you, but they're having a full-fledged conversation, and nobody's around. What's going on? Or you may be driving down the road and see somebody talking, having a conversation in an empty car. What's happening? Bluetooth is happening. If they're in the store, they have something in their ear. If they're in their car, their car is magically piping that in, and they've got a conversation going. Let me tell you, that's what our prayer life has got to be like. Keep the conversation with God going. Of course there are times when you get off to yourself, you get into your prayer closet, whatever that is for you, and you talk to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, it will change your life if you will keep the line open between you and the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Worship. We do that on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. Our children do that. Our youth do that. We cultivate a lot of opportunities for us to gather as the people of God to worship. But did you know the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork? 
And so some of you all have just come back for vacation or getting ready to go on vacation. Wherever it is you go, even if it's to your backyard, let the heavens declare the glory of God to your soul, and you respond by telling God how great He is. That's worship. Evangelism. Sharing your faith with other people. We do that through the gospel to every home. We've done it through tornado relief. We do it weekly through helping hands. We'll do it through vacation Bible school. We do it by inviting our friends to church so that they might hear the wonderful gospel that though they are sinners, Jesus Christ is the Savior who has died to pay in full the price for their sin and who rose the third day from the grave, who opens his arms to them and says, come to me, be forgiven, be cleansed, find life. But did you know that there are plenty of people in your spheres of influence who won't come to church just yet? They won't turn on WBKO on Sunday morning just yet, but but they trust you. They'll talk to you. They'll listen to you. When you talk about the difference that Jesus is making in your life, that comes with great authority in their lives because, well, they see you. They know you, and they know you're not perfect. And you're a great reminder that God doesn't just use perfect people, but He perfects all who come to Him. Service. Service is using our gifts, talents, abilities, and resources to bless people and glorify God. You've been given gifts and talents and abilities and resources. What are you doing with them? Are you hiding them? Are you stowing them away? Or are you allowing God to work through you, using them to bless others? Stewardship. I'm just going to tell you, you ought to tithe as a baseline, and then you ought to give over and above that. That's not Jeff saying that. That's the Word of God. If you don't like it, 1-800-OUR-FATHER-WHO-ART-IN-HEAVEN. You can have that conversation. But we ought to be generous. Do you know why God's people ought to be generous? because God's a generous God. God's people ought to be generous because we're like our Lord. He is generous, fasting, seriously. That's not just for the super holy people. That's for everybody. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, what is fasting? It is laying aside something so that you might focus on prayer, on the Word, on God. And it doesn't have to be something bad. It can be something great, but you lay it aside. Why? Because God deserves your ultimate, ultimate reverence and ultimate attention. Silence and solitude. Boy, how many of you could use some silence and solitude in our world today? You know what that means? Turn off the phone. You know what that means for me? Get away from the phone. You know what else that means for me? Take my watch off because it buzzes when the phone buzzes. How many of you have found that our world is very loud these days? And God calls us to engage with Him undistracted in times of silence and solitude. Journaling. Have some way whereby you record what God has done in your life. If you're not a writer, do it like I do. I just put a date. This is what happened. One little, little sentence fragment is enough. And sometimes I'll just go back and say, wow, God, you're amazing. Because you know why? If you don't, you'll forget. God says to remember. And then learning. Always be growing. Always be growing in Christ-likeness. Always be cultivating what God has given you so that you might grow to become the man or woman of God that God has made you to be. We practice the spiritual disciplines. But then our second point is this. 
we take the next right step. We take the next right step. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, and this is from the New International Version, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know that your journey of life as you trust and follow Jesus is to be oriented in a new direction. You know what your direction is, believer? Heavenward. And every decision you and I make either is heavenward or it's not. Every next step you and I take is either heavenward or it's not. Pretty simple. So what next step is God calling you to take? I can give you some with which we would love to help you. If you've never repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's the next step to which God is calling you. You can do that right now. Today, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you, and I will follow you. I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. If you haven't taken that step, take it today. Or if you have and you've never stepped into the waters of baptism to profess your faith by being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's your next step. We can help you with that step. All you have to do is let us know. But it is our joy. Are you actively engaging in the spiritual disciplines? We just discussed 10 things. Chances are good. You might not be engaged in all 10 of them. What's the next step God's calling you to take? Maybe that next step is to turn off the noise just for a moment and just listen to God. Let Him instruct you. Are you gathering regularly with believers that you might stir one another to love and good works? We want you to gather. Let me tell you something. Church family is more important than you think it is. And let me tell you when you will find out that that is true. When the bottom falls out. When the bottom falls out of life and you're not sure what to do and you're surrounded by a group of people with whom you've done life and they're saying, we don't know exactly what to do, but we're here and we're going to walk with you and we're going to make sure you know you're not alone. And that may look like a casserole or fried chicken or a phone call or a card or whatever. It's going to, we're going to be church family. God didn't design you to live your faith by yourself. He designed you to live your faith in the community of a body of believers to love you, to encourage you, to stand with you, to walk alongside you, to stir you up as you stir them up to love and good works. But you know, there are other next steps upon which we all have to decide. What's my next decision going to be? Christianity is not a one-time decision. It's an every-decision decision. Will my next decision lead toward Jesus or toward sin? Those are your options. Will it lead toward Jesus or toward sin? Will my next decision illustrate love for my neighbor or magnify my self-centeredness? Will my next decision indicate the Holy Spirit's presence in my life or will my next decision magnify my flesh? Which one is it? We actively trust Jesus. We follow him. Henry and Richard Blackaby in Experiencing God Say, in the process of experiencing God, obedience is your moment of truth. Your obedience, or lack thereof, will reveal what you believe about God, determine whether you will experience His mighty work in and through you, 
and determine whether you will come to know Him more intimately. You obey because you trust God. You trust Him because you love Him. And you grow in your faith and obey God at every step. You'll move from a head knowledge of God to a personal, experiential, dynamic relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. You know, your life will ultimately be the culmination of a series of seemingly insignificant steps. But when the end comes, all those seemingly insignificant steps will have come together to become your legacy, what they remember about you. So does your life illustrate that Christ is in you and He is your hope of glory? We take the next right step. And our third and final point is this. We don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Why in the world would God call us to persevere? Because if you've lived long enough, you know that life will call you to persevere. There are going to be times when you want to quit. There are going to be times when you want to give up, when, there, when, when you think you've had enough, I can't take another step. And yet God says what? Run with perseverance the race I've marked out for you. And though the obstacle you face may be bigger than you thought it would, may the next step that you're being called to take harder than you thought it would be, fix your eyes on Jesus and take the next right step. And again, continue taking the next right step. And continue taking the next right step. And you know what will happen? You'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So how do we walk by faith? Well, we do the things God told us to do in the first place that fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. We take the next correct step, not toward sin, but toward the Lord. We allow our decisions to illustrate that God is in us and He is motivating us and moving us and transforming us and shaping us, and, and we allow His presence in us to overflow as love for neighbor so that when they look at our lives, they see Jesus more and more. And we don't quit, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how much it feels like we just can't take that next step. No, we look at Jesus and we take it because we know that ultimately if we're in Christ, those steps will lead us home to Him.